0: Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we will discuss what the flesh is as written about in the New Testament and how it develops in each one of us. But first, last week we discussed the consequences of the fall and how each of us is affected because of man's sin. Sin entered the world and through Adam's choice, and its power was unleashed and enslaved all mankind. Born into sin, each one of us turns to the flesh as a way of surviving. Galatians 6, eight says, for the one sowing to his own flesh from the flesh will reap decay, but the one sowing to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. It is this sowing and behavior of the flesh that we will explore today. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and here we go. All right, joining me today is Tom Price. Hey, Ross. And Bo Brazina. Hello. And Ben Brazina. Hey, Ross. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Good. 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 All right, so as the introduction said, we are talking about the flesh today. And so, Bo, I'm going to start with you. The flesh can be a, a topic that can be hard to understand or difficult to even explain. So what is one of the easiest ways that you have found to explain what the flesh is?
1: Well, you're right. It is difficult. There's many different ways people explain it. I think of it simply as a one word is control. How do I control my world to get my needs met apart from Christ is how I would describe it. Of course, a lot of things that are in the flesh don't appear to be controlling. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of those later, but I think that's a good brief way of thinking about it. Trying to get those needs met apart from Christ.
0: Uh, okay. So when you say control, you're talking about like actions, you're talking about uh, a way of controlling people around you or what specifically sure. are you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so for instance, one of my flesh patterns is people pleasing. Now, most people are familiar with people pleasing. Yeah. You try to keep people happy, you try to do nice things for them. So they're happy with you. That doesn't appear controlling at all. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's not like yelling and screaming at somebody and trying to get them to change. But what's happening is, is I'm trying to control my environment around me, mm-hmm. trying to get other people to like me in order to get a need for acceptance or love or respect. Mm. So, on the appearance of it, it doesn't look controlling at all. But yeah. in reality, I'm trying to control the people around me to like me by okay, keeping yeah. them happy. So, yeah. I don't know if that yeah. illustration kind of shows yeah. what I'm talking about.
0: For sure. And so, the flesh itself, the, you know, obviously it's referenced in the New Testament. Paul talks about it that way. How, besides control, Ben or Tom, how would you describe? What it is in your own words and how you explain it to other people.
2: Well to me flesh is the is the physical resources that I would utilize to control to okay. people please yeah to get worth and value from the world around me. And so my way of doing that is becomes the patterns mm. that I utilize the flesh to get those needs met.
0: So it's that physical component is that how they is that the bridge that's gapped between the actual word flesh? Because, you know, I think of flesh, you think of right, skin right, right. and stuff like that, but it's the physical resources.
2: Well, I think so. Every one of us has desires. You know, the Bible says that, well, in Galatians 5, 6, 17, it says the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so when you think about desires, we all have desires. You know, I may have desire to, I'm tired, I have a desire to go to sleep, or I'm hungry, I have a desire to eat. Or maybe I feel worthless and I have a desire to do something to find worth, flesh is what I would utilize to fulfill those desires. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if I'm operating through the spirit, and I'm probably jumping ahead here, if I'm operating the spirit, then I'm dependent upon on the spirit to accomplish mm. those desires. Yeah, I think when
3: you ask the average person, you know, the average person probably doesn't use the word flesh very much, but yeah. if you ask them what they think, they would probably think of some kind of meat. You know, something like that. And the Bible does use the flesh, that word sarks underneath uh, that we get translated as flesh. It's used as the meat of an animal. But in the context here, we're talking about that mindset that's on the physical or the resources, as Tom was saying. So the King James, I believe, called it the carnal mind, mm-hmm. but a mind that's set on physical versus a mind that's set on God and depending on Him to meet those needs. And obviously what Bo was saying, in order to get the natural stuff to meet your needs, you have to have that control. Hmm. So
0: obviously if we take God out of the equation, it sounds like, especially with what Tom said, if I'm feeling worthless, and then I'm going to try to figure out a way to make myself feel worthwhile. Now on the surface, that doesn't seem like a bad goal. Right, so why is the flesh necessarily bad?
2: Because it's not depending upon God to get that need met. It's depending upon what you see, what you you know, what you touch, what you mm-hmm. hear. You know, it's the physical.
3: I, I think the love economy, the love economy, it does not seek its own. Right, that's what it says in Corinthians thirteen. It doesn't seek its own. It, it seeks the interest of another. And you see the Trinity. We already talked about that in the concept of God is seeking the highest good for the other. Mm. So when we are made to enter that God's economy of love, it's with the intent that we're designed to think of the other person and to uh, minister to that other person, to give and serve and encourage, uh, all those things. So when we start saying, we don't have enough and I need to figure out how to get my needs met, it's completely self-absorbed. And that mindset is antithetical this idea of a love economy, which is all about the other person and the other people in our life.
1: And it actually essentially is calling God a liar. If, if we could use the Tom's example mm-hmm. of worth, and I've you know had my own version of that. I'm going to go find out something that makes me feel worthwhile. I'm going to accomplish something today, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's basically saying, God, you don't give me worth or your worth is not enough for me. Mm-hmm. I've got to go create that today, or mm. make that happen, or accomplish something. And it's basically saying, God, you're not capable of supplying worth, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Mm. And so that's another aspect to it.
0: Yeah, so it goes back to the concept of our needs, and if God's meeting our needs, then we may have the perception that we are feeling, feeling worthless. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Bo, if... God is who He says He is, and He's actually meeting our needs for worth, then we have all the worth we need, hence we don't need to go find some way to try to fill that on our own, yeah. right? Is that what I'm hearing from you guys? Okay, so Galatians um, says in 6.8 again, it says, the flesh brings about decay. What was the other tra- Corruption would be the other corruption translation. or destruction. Or destruction, yeah. So any of those words, but how have you guys seen or can explain why it is that that word de- describes what happens when we live out of the flesh.
3: Well, I love the the concept here. The picture there is a sowing and reaping and you know that gets brought in throughout scripture this idea of reaping what you sow, but it's brought in here by Paul as if if you're doing this, right? Sowing is an action and an action comes from a belief. So if you believe that something out here will meet your needs and you exercise that selfishness by taking and, and using it for yourself, then it's going to produce something and that something is the opposite of life mm. because sowing love, sowing the next verse goes into good works mm-hmm. and sowing those out of the spirit it produces life. It's a compare and contrast. So
2: Hmm.
3: it brings about destruction. And when I think of that idea is if you're cut off from life and you're trying to get life, it's like a flower, you know, a rose that's been snipped off at the stem. It may look like it's still alive, but it's really dead because it's cut off from life. And it's entering that consistent process of becoming more and more dead or decay corruption to the end result of it turns into nothing.
0: So let me, that just brought up a question in my mind that, I, I, you know, I just think about this. So if if the flesh is being cut off from the source of life, we as believers aren't ever cut off from God. So how do we experience that decay since we are not actually cut off from life? Is it that choice that then we experience something that's like being cut off? Or how, do, how would you separate those two ideas where we're never cut off from God and the source of life, but that action is actually cut off? So how do, how do we
2: parse that out. I like the word that Scripture used, walk, because walk indicates a a, a progress, a a direction that you're moving. And so in the sense of experience, this side of heaven for the believer, we have a walk. Mm. And I can experience decay in my walk, in my path.
3: Okay. I mean, I, I think it's easy. We can be led astray from a simple devotion to Christ, that intimate relationship, We're led astray by something out here. Let's say, you know, for me, I've been lured away at times by the desire for money and stuff. And it, it holds that shiny allure. And you get a thought that if I could just have that, you know, and so that thought pattern leads to actions. How am I going to get more money? And there's a myriad of ways, and some of them are at the expense of other people. And if you're set, if I'm set on that, then it doesn't matter what happens to everybody else as long as I get what I want. And it leads to destruction with relationships. So there's death there in relationships. But there's also... Like a death inside, you know the the life in the spirit talked about right before this in Galatians five talks about the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, all those things that come from the life of love in the spirit and walking in the spirit. As Tom said, you get the opposite of that, and when the flesh, you get dissatisfaction, you get anger, you get frustration. You get, you know, no peace, anxiety, worry, all those things that are opposite of the economy of the spirit and of love.
1: You know, going back to your point about as a believer, we do have life. We're not cut off from life. Even if we choose to walk after the flesh or sin, which is really what flesh is, it, it leads you to sin. But I think of Jesus's words, he says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But then he also said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, he can't touch us once we're saved. But when we set our mind on the flesh, we're not experiencing abundant life, Mm -hmm. right? Which means that even though he hasn't taken our abundant life from Christ, Christ still lives in us, we're not experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And I personally think that's an element of decay. And then after I act on it, then what Ben was talking about, happens I start to sin against other people and relationships start to decay mm-hmm. they're hurt yeah. they're destroyed or they're yeah. corrupted you sure. know in a way through the pain of my sin
0: down to kind of think about it. So the decay that's happening is a experiential earthly consequence type of decay, not a spiritual decay.
1: Yes, I would think of it as the consequences of my sin.
0: Right? Sure. I mean, yeah. if
1: I if I run a red light, that would be an act of the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get pulled over and arrested and charged and f- fined and that's going to cause stress and anxiety and sure all sorts of Experiential
2: decay. Yeah, Remind me not to run that red line. <laughs> yes. Getting arrested for it. <laughs> will we? Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, a ticket. There Maybe go, that yeah. would be it. <laughs>
0: Unless you're running from the cops. Then well, that's true.
1: That's, that's true. that's true. Um,
0: okay. So now that we've kind of solidified kind of what the flesh is and its earthly consequences, in what ways do flesh patterns develop? Because we all have a way of using the flesh that's unique to us. And so we utilize its patterns in ways that we seem to think work for us, and I use work with quotations. So how have you guys seen flesh patterns develop, not necessarily in your life, but how do flesh patterns develop and how do we recognize those?
1: Well, in First in Peter one eighteen talks about the um, feudal ways of life inherited from forefathers, and we mentioned that in the Living in Jesus mm-hmm. book. And then, of course, we can't think of how they developed without thinking of the famous Philippians three passage where Paul talks about how his developed, mm. circumcised eighth day. You know, he's talking about his his family background, his religious background, and so that all of that put together tells me it starts very early. Mm. For me, some of the way my flesh developed was very innocent. It wasn't, you know, traumatic, you know, and I think it started, it's a learning process that started at a young age. So, I mean, I have one of my earlier memories is of playing a Uno card game or or wanting to play and the kids in the group said, no, you can't play. You don't know how to read, Mm. which is probably a statement of fact, (laughs) but through the, the way the enemy works, the way the world works, and the way my thinking was being shaped. The, the fleshly message was, I'm not wanted here. And so I had, how do I cope? Well, I'm going to withdraw from that. I just walked out of the room. Mm-hmm. You know, I left, I went outside. So that's just a, a simple example of a learning process of, yeah. uh, I'm going to try this out, see if that works, to take the pain of rejection. So it was a, a situation that happened and in that moment,
0: because of the pain of rejection, there was a thought that happened, in and in a way to try to actually
1: solve the problem of not being included. Exactly, and there's an emotional response aspect to it too that indicates there's a you know a yeah. problem. Yeah,
3: it, it's essentially. Uh, the grand experiment of life, if you will, as you do an action, you get feedback Mm -hmm. and you evaluate the feedback. And then you decide a course of action based on the stored information in our memories. We all do it. I was talking to a pastor this morning and he was telling me when he was a kid, he ate a orange cream sickle. And as soon as he ate it, his stomach got sick and he threw it up and he said, every time I look at a creamsicle now, I remember that, and I never have eaten another one because it, it disgusts me. Now, there's nothing inherently bad with—some people love those, but with his experience, something happened that gave him negative feedback, and he chose a behavior that's based on uh, that feedback that he mm. got as to what will bring him the, the most satisfaction going forward.
2: I think when we're born, I mean, the moment we're born into this world, we immediately start analyzing. Yeah. You don't watch a baby and say, Oh, look at that baby's analyzing right now but they are. <laughs> yeah. In in that baby type of way. They're they're figuring out, oh, this works, this doesn't work. And we just start doing that, mm-hmm. you know we get better at it and better at it. Well, I say better, you know, yeah. the flesh patterns get worse and worse. Sure. Yeah.
1: Some of the best ways to, to watch the flesh develop is just see that baby and how, when people ooh and awe and coo and all that and give mm-hmm. them acceptance, yep. they'll start repeating the behavior, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and to get somebody to laugh or to smile or to, yeah, and, and that's a perfect example.
3: You know, I, Bo and I grew up, with a dad who played professional football, and people wanted his autograph everywhere we went. People knew his name. They wanted his autograph. They wanted him to do TV interviews mm-hmm. and radio interviews. And so people wanted to be around him. They thought it; they wanted to hear his stories. So, we, I mean, I saw that as a kid and thought, man, he is getting a lot of worth and value. He's a significant person because he's played professional football. And so in my mind, I think – evaluating that. Oh, I need to, or I want to do the same thing. I Mm. want, I want what he has. Sure. And, and that can send us along a path of trying to do it. And if we have the athletic ability, maybe, maybe I can accomplish that. I tried and played in high school, but then I got hurt and had to stop. And so that goal was blocked. That program system of trying to get worth was removed from my life. So Mm. we, sometimes that happens. You go down a path and try something that works for a while And then it doesn't work, and you have Mm -hmm. to find something else.
0: So, to me, you know, if I was playing devil's advocate here, it sounds like to me you're just living a normal life. You know, like you go out in the world, it's you try something, it doesn't work. Okay, you try something different, like you know. But we're we're saying that that trial and error is sin, right? And that's the difference to me, because a lot of people would just be like, "Well, yeah, of course you want to play football like your dad. I mean, it makes a lot of money. You get a lot of recognition. You, I mean." Why is that a bad thing? You know, and I think that's the question that keeps coming up in my mind, and I know the answer, but I'm, I think that question
3: will come up a lot. Well, why is that a bad thing to want that? Well, when you, when you boil sin down, I believe when you boil sin down, you look at it, it's essentially it's selfishness. I want to do what I want to do for my sake when I want to do it and there's god's nowhere in the picture and and you look in the bible how we were designed to function we were not made to live for ourselves
0: hmm. yeah
3: we were made to live for god he lives for us he gives us life he he provides us with all our needs and we we love him in return and it's that economy of love that's completely different than you know the economy of the world that there's a, that comes up a lot in scripture the world especially in Paul's writing the world it's a system of living that's self-centered and self-driven and i need to get what i can for my glory so that i'll get my needs met if you can get some too well that's great but if not as long as i'm i'm number 1 in my world so the the follow up devil's
0: advocate question would be then well do, doesn't god want those things for me right doesn't want god want me to be happy
1: and successful So, so take the, you know, story. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting hurt. Uh, I mean, obviously nobody wants to get hurt, but there's nothing wrong with me feeling hurt, right? There's nothing wrong with me walking out of the room. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is I was looking to my own resources to manage the hurt. Mm. You know, most people would say, well, Bo, that was very well adjusted. You could have grabbed the deck of cards and chucked it across the room and started a huge fight, you know, Mm -hmm. pounding people. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be healthy. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously the world would say, well, you you chose the better path, Mm. right? But what I'm pointing to is, and and of course it's tied into about 5 million other stories in my life where I've depended on my own resources to manage Mm. how I'm going to manage and earn and keep and maintain acceptance. And that's where the problem is. It's not life giving, and therefore, like Ben was saying, it's all focused on self. And number one, it's not birthed out of how do I love these other players of the Uno game, (laughs) because I have an abundance of love in me for them.
3: And and you ask, doesn't God want our happiness? Well, happiness is based on what happens to us. You know, it's based on events and circumstances. It rises and falls, and ultimately, God wants what's good for us, what's best for us. And and his design, he designed us to function in that uh, dependent category where Mm. we live in a love relationship with him. And that Mm. I think is where we're gonna experience what the Jews called shalom, that wholeness and healthiness and inner restfulness. And that's the state I think God designed us to live in. And that comes only through a love economy rather than a self-centered economy.
0: see if I can connect the dots here, right? Because we talked about the concept of God, we've talked about the two trees and the systems of living, talked about our needs, You know, talked about even purpose and um, glorifying God, and it seems like all of those are wrapped up in this process, because it takes the trusting who God is and who He says we are and what He's done for us, it takes trusting that He's meeting our needs, it takes trusting that He knows what's best for us, Um, And then not choosing our own wisdom, but choosing His wisdom and His path, all of those things, I think that's why the Bible says it's a narrow gate and then a wide gate, right? Because there's all these options we have of ways that we can live from the flesh, a lot of different patterns we can choose from, or the one of dependence, like you said, Ben, on who God is and what He has for us and that He is good and will work all things for our good. And it's that single choice, single choice of dependence in that moment.
3: And, the, and, you know, Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of, is the way of death. And I think you could fill in the blank with corruption or decay. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. And so, yeah. yeah, it seems right to the world, as you were saying earlier. It seems right to go after these things and to accomplish a lot for your glory and to make a name for yourself and get people to like you. But if that's your goal and you and you do it in your own strength, you're going to get there, and you're going to realize it's just rottenness,
2: flesh. It's the counterfeit way. You know, when God created humanity, He created us to uh, experience the fullness of His life, which in that life is joy, unspeakable joy, unspeakable peace. You know, but after the fall the flesh came into play and now it's the counterfeit way of trying to get those things mm. and happiness replaced joy mm-hmm. i'm now pursuing happiness thinking that it's going to give me joy but it doesn't
0: yeah yeah it makes me think of just the phrase well who's going to do it for me right and that's the world's idea is well i you know i need joy peace or i want so who's going to do it for me Right. And that's where the idea is if without God we separate that, you're right. Nobody else is probably going to do it for you. But you can't do it either. (laughs) You know, you can't try to figure it out on your own. You're just as human and created and fallible as all the other humans that can't do it for you. And so there has to be that supreme being, that all knowing God, the all loving God who knows how to best do that for you to fill in that gap for you. So let's take it from what, you know, all the explanations that we've done and let's move it more personal. How have you guys in your life experienced this and experienced the decay in some ways that has come with living by the flesh?
2: Listening to Bo's Uno story reminded me of uh, something that happened. Well, I was going to say something that happened in first grade. It was the whole first grade year. <laughs> <laughs> so I start first grade, and this is my first time really around other kids and groups and all day long kind of thing. And the first thing they do is they separate you out into groups. And the groups are graded groups. Like these kids at the top of the food chain, they already know how to read. So we're going to put them in this group. And then mm. you have all the way down to the bottom group where these kids don't know how to read. Mm. Guess which group I was in? I was <laughs> in that group. And so my analyzing that, my the belief that formed, well, there's something wrong with me because I'm down here. And other kids seemed to back that belief up by the way they treated me, talked to me, and so I began to develop this this self image of myself that I'm worthless and I'm not good enough. And so my response to that was I'm going to try harder, I'm going to perform better, and try to get up to that top group. Hmm. And and that is flesh patterns development. Well, so how did you? What were some of the things you tried? Well, learning how to read, for one thing, <laughs> <laughs> that helped. Yeah. Uh, and trying to hang out with those kids in the in the higher groups, trying mm. to, you know, people please, make them like me, you know, try to be funny, yeah. anything that would get them to like me.
0: So, again, I, I think I want to point out, as you say that story, there's nothing wrong with learning to read. Nothing wrong right. with learning to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not the action itself necessarily. It was the why behind it and what you were trying exactly, to Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. Okay. I mean, you know, every day there's temptations to walk after these learned patterns. I mean, I'm thinking a few months ago, when me and one of my sons got into argument. It had to do with some household chores. And as I'm trying to explain my position, I find myself getting frustrated with him. And even I'm not a yeller, usually that wasn't developed in my flesh pattern. <laughs> uh, but I found that the tone of my voice you changed. And he knows, he's lived with me (laughs) long enough to know that, you know, that's not a tone of peace and of joy and of love. And as the argument continued, you know, I realized that God showed me what it was. I I felt like in order to get respect, I needed him to see my point of view. Hmm. So what I did is I kind of changed my tone to exert more pressure in order for him to come along and change his mind yep. so that I would get my need for respect. Mm. And that le- leads to decay. That does not is not a, as been talked about the economy of love, that mm-hmm. was not a loving environment for him to grow or even have grace from me or, or anything like that Peace for him to even be able to consider my position. Mm. Because as soon as I start doing that to him, he's got his own flesh patterns to, to wrestle with. And so that would be an example of a decay, you know, mm. type of situation. Yeah. God still loves me, He's still in me, I still had this life. I just was not living out of that life in that moment. Mm. I was looking for quote unquote life or counterfeit, as Tom said. Mm. If I could just get him to come along and agree with me. Yeah. yeah. You're right, Dad.
0: So the the decay, how did you experience that
1: in that moment? Well, I mean, it's frustration, it's stress, it's anger or, or irritation. Maybe mm-hmm. would be the word. It's probably, I, you know, I don't, I, I didn't pull out the heart rate monitor, but I'm <laughs> sure my blood pressure wasn't being helped, which helped, hurts my cardiovascular. You know, I didn't have a heart attack, praise God. But I mean, you know, 50 years of that, that it, may, sure, it could yeah. it could ev- eventually cause bodily decay if mm-hmm. I didn't choose to walk. Back in in dependence on Christ, and so, but then also it creates wounds in him. You know, he doesn't feel loved. It, it's not the love of Christ coming out of me. Mm. Fortunately, we were able to you know ask for forgiveness, and the wound is healed, True. right? Yep. But the wounds cause scars. Scars affect you know relationship. Mm. God works it all for good. Praise yep. God. But that's part of the decay. Yeah, yeah. Can't take back those words. No, yeah. You know,
3: underlying. All the flesh development is, is a primary lie, I would say. It's the lie that I can be like God. It's the one that goes all the way back to the garden. I can sure. meet my needs. And so on top of that one lie, the enemy comes with all different lies. You've heard different lies than them. For me, somehow I picked up when I was real young, I picked up this lie from the enemy that people with more money are worth more, more valuable and, right, that's a need, a deep need that we all have for worth. Hmm. And so I connected those two together. And so as a result, I different aspects of my life was, okay, how am I going to gain money, more money? And one of the things I did was I get a degree in business economics. And you can learn skills and techniques on how to gain money. Now God had a different plan for my life, and He called <laughs> me into ministry where that's not a aspect. But we had to; He has had to deal with me on that before and during, you know, going into the ministry. But I remember my senior year in college, I for the the final class and for my major, we had to write a, a life plan. You know, mm-hmm. what do, how what are we going to do with our life? What are we going to accomplish? The business professor wanted us to do, and I went to a Christian school and. So in my business plan, I wrote something. I was gonna start a business, earn a million dollars in a year. That was my goal. And I remember, I still remember to this day, he looked at me and he said, Well, why do you want to have a million dollars? And I I didn't know the answer at the time. I was like, Well, who wouldn't want to have a million dollars <laughs> in a year? You right. know, that's the thought that was going on in my mind. Later, I realized that it was it was due to this lie. You know, if I could do that, if I could earn a million dollars in a year, that would be, I would be worth more as a person. And so learning the systems, as Bo's has already talked about, control. For me, that turned into, I need to be very disciplined and controlled with how I manage and invest my finances. Mm. And so I was single at the time. I got, I got very disciplined. I was saving, investing. And then I got married and i married somebody with a different flesh pattern and different lies than i had and one of her lies was we don't need to control the finances we need to spend more to enjoy the money <laughs> and so my ideas of control and getting wealthy were coming into conflict with her thoughts and so i found myself trying to control her mm. and and how do we control other people we sometimes you know we can reach for shaming mm. which is what i did or or manipulation or some kind of belittling, you mm. know, put putting down the other person in front of other people. And that produced a conflict and a death in our relationship. Mm. And instead of drawing us closer together and, and building her up, now I'm tearing her down and she doesn't want to talk to me about money. Mm. And so it just kept blooming and she's got her own desire to feel worthwhile. And if she's, so she's got a develop something and so there's temptations to hide things Mm. and it just it just bore fruit for death instead of you know a loving peaceful harmonious relationship yeah that was a a thorn and that's part of the curse of the fall you know for choosing to sin you get thorns Mm. that's what I felt like in our relationship
0: funny, you know, the the question I had that follows up is one that I think is an exciting question, but I think you guys have highlighted a little bit of how it's happened, but how has God revealed your flesh to you, right? Like, obviously you've experienced these things and you know it now, you know, thinking back first grade or the earlier on in your marriage and, you know, just several months ago with your son, you know, I just think about God is lovingly showing us and faithful to show us that we're living by the flesh when we do it. Uh, he's not Shaming us. He's doing it in a loving, caring way. He doesn't have flesh patterns, so he's doing it out of love. But how have you experienced God revealing that to you, and what has that experience been like for you? In
2: 2004, after a few years of a lot of brokenness, uh, I had the opportunity to take a class at my church. And in that class, God began to teach me a lot of these concepts that we talk about in living in Jesus. But it wasn't until I started working here in 2012, Greg asked me about my flesh patterns and, and how they developed. And and even though I had already been counseling people and helping them to figure out their flesh patterns, I realized i had never sat down and really just looked at, at how mine developed and hmm. what they look like. And I don't know why it never occurred to me to sit down and do that. And so I, I went home and I started to look at it and and after a couple of hours just sitting there in front of my computer, I made me a little spreadsheet and was typing stuff in, and all of a sudden it was like, aha. And I began to see the how it started developing as a young child. And, mm. and each experience seemed to enforce or reinforce what those false beliefs I had started believing when I was a kid. And then I had those aha moments where I thought back on ministry experiences Uh, where I've experienced hurt. And I began to see how my flesh patterns played into those hurts. Yes, there were people who did things, said things, you know, that disappointed me, hurt me. Mm -hmm. But the focus wasn't on them, it was on me. It was on how I interpreted it and then how I responded to that interpretation and how I acted out to protect myself, Mm -hmm. to defend myself.
0: So God kind of took you through a specific period of time or a moment where you went back and kind of revealed a lot of the flesh patterns that you had, had. You said there was some aha moments, but what was that revealing from God like for you? What was that experience to kind of finally see what, it, what your flesh patterns were and how did God handle that in you? Like, um, The question I'm trying to ask is like, when God showed you your flesh patterns, what was it the experience uh, like? Well, when it, recognized it it
2: definitely was not the accusing finger. Yeah, Tom, this is you. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear that at all. I heard, Tom, this is not you. Mm. This is you've acted this way. You've believed these things, thinking that's you. But I'm here to tell you that is not you. And wow, such mm-hmm. immense love and acceptance in that mm-hmm. moment, where there's a sense of relief, like oh my goodness. I don't have to live this way. (laughs) And I I can choose to not believe this and walk in the spirit and not after the flesh.
1: You know, uh, Tom, I I find it interesting because I, I see a parallel in my own life. You said 2004, you started understanding some of the truths that we teach in living in Jesus. And of course, those are a lot of those we haven't even discussed on the podcast yet. Those are what Christ did on the cross and the new identity He gives you, and we're gonna get into that yep. all later. Yep. But then, around uh, 2012, you're here, so that's eight years later. You're you're probably well rooted in all those beautiful truths of what Christ had done and made you and who you were and things like that. And that's to me what's so essential in understanding your flesh. the The goal is not to set out and understand the flesh. The goal is to get so rooted in who I am in Christ. Hmm. That, oh, the, he starts lovingly showing you this is not who you are anymore. Yeah. It's kind of like when I taught my kids to s- swim or when I learned to swim. You know, my dad might have been in the pool saying, okay, son, swim to me, but I'm not letting go of that ledge. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he's going to save me, right? I don't know if it's secure. I don't know if there's strength in those. I mean, I know he's strong, but this is the water's too deep and it's not until you really trust the arms of the Father do you let go of the wall to start saying, okay, well, what do I do then when I'm not trusting you? Mm. And then you start swimming, and he starts showing you these ahas. Oh, you know, and God has done that in my own journey. It's been, a, it's been over time, as I've gotten rooted in this confident love that God has for me and the worth that's secure, then I could actually stop and say, yeah, I was doing some counterfeit stuff there because I wasn't really trusting that strength. And so for me, he started putting the pieces together, but it was a conscious decision like Tom's uh, it, to say, okay, I'm ready or not. God, you're leading me here. I, I'm mm-hmm. ready to go to where you're going. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Right. And so it wasn't just like, la-di-da, I'm walking along life and, oh, I got this flesh pattern. It was a, okay, I want to experience your life. What do you have to show me? Why am I not experiencing it here? Mm-hmm. It, and so there was a choice, Yep. if, if that makes sense. For sure.
3: I think we have to get to the point where what we've been doing we realize is dysfunctional or not working for us and that maybe it's discomfort or pain to say you know I need to to need to do something different this is not working you know mm-hmm. we're we're keep fighting about the same things we keep arguing and frustrated with one another you know if it's a relational thing or maybe I just have all this anxiety I need to unload this I I'm tired of carrying around this and that puts us in a mentality to start thinking different. But Bo's right, You know, we will never start to explore this idea of our behavior and where we're trying to get our needs met until we have been rooted in the love of God and then our identity of what he really believes about us. Mm -hmm. I think there was a man who had an impact in my life, Bob Warren, he was a Bible teacher. He used to say, what you do is not who you are even though who you are has a tremendous impact on what you do. Mm. And so I think in the world system, in the way that most of us are raised, we think what we do is who we are. Mm -hmm. And what I put out is who I am. If I win, I'm a winner. If I lose, I'm a loser. And our identity becomes enwrapped in that. And so that is a critical first piece. For me, it was to be stabilized on the inside enough to say, uh, okay, now I can – pull my behavior out and say, why is it I'm acting selfishly? Why, why am I speaking unkind? Why do I want to control my wife? Hmm. And what's behind all that? Mm-hmm. But I have to distance myself from my worth and my behavior, get that identity in Christ. God's given me the worth, as Bo was saying. And that for me was a critical piece That's where the peace comes from, engaging that. And then once we're stabilized, revealing the flesh to me is like turning the lights on. You know, now I don't have to stumble over everything. I see where that's going. If I respond, (laughs) that hurt. But if I respond in that way, I know where that's going to lead. And I'm not going to do that. It's a provision, I think, that God gives us that illumination of how we operate in the flesh and the lies we believe so that we won't walk in and bring pain and and that corruption or, or decay we, we won't have to experience that in our life
0: yeah well I, I think it's awesome to see the thread that's gone through all three of your stories of just how god has been patient to reveal your flesh to you and also loving in the way he does it and the timing well, i mean bo you talked about timing but i think it's in in his wisdom he knows when you're ready for it he knows when you are rooted in the truths of knowing who you are and who He is and His heart for you, that hearing those words, like Ben said, the light comes on, or it's a a freeing moment in a lot of ways because as God says, this is not who you are, it's like, oh yeah. (laughs) Like what a great revelation of truth that I am not these dumb, idiotic, terrible things I've done. I'm a child of God. I'm fully loved regardless of this. That's beautiful, that's amazing. So that's, that's the beautiful aspect of how God uses even our flesh for good in our lives. How do you see flesh? What's the most, biggest challenge to you, maybe personally about your own flesh or just the concept of flesh that you wrestle with still? Maybe not all the time, but just that you wrestle with still today. Well, as a teacher
2: and a counselor, explaining the flesh, because it is such a foreign concept to most people, like Ben said, the the basic definition is like the meat of the animal. Uh, people can get that, but explaining it in this deeper sense that we've been talking about, that's a huge challenge in, in explaining it and mm. describing it because there's a lot of confusion there. But in the sense of my own story, my own life, uh, the challenge is, is when walking it out. Because, you know, the places where we experience it is <laughs> normally when it's around other people. And, mm-hmm. and marriage parenting, those are the two of the biggies, you know, and, <laughs> yep. and workplace mm-hmm. uh, can be one for a lot of folks. But marriage, you know, I am married. I do have children. I have grandchildren, and I remember raising the kids, and, and I would say that they were still living at home when I began to fully grasp what the flesh was. And the challenge is in those aggravating, frustrating moments, like Bo was talking about, is making that choice to, to believe the truth, In spite of what my emotions are doing in the moment and what the uncontrollables are doing, Mm. the children (laughs) or the wife or spouse, you know, believing the truth in that moment and trusting God. Because, you know, when you have that emotion that's reinforcing Mm -hmm. the lie, it's hard in that moment to make that choice to walk in the truth
3: you know paul talks about fighting the good fight he talks about running the race these are all things that take endurance and there's a relentlessness to this to the desires of the flesh they get aroused hmm. and it's not like it's going to ever stop until yeah. the end and yeah. and it's a fight of believing what am i going to believe who's going to meet my needs and so for me, that's the challenge. You can't let your guard down, so to speak, because there's going to be desires of the flesh there, and and there's nothing wrong with a lot of those desires. I mean, it's not. I mean, we're designed to operate where we respect one another and and uh, encourage one another. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with a desire to have that, but you know, there's always the temptation. I got to go and get it and establish it, rather than. I receive it from God, and then I can give to others, even if they don't give to me. Hmm. So the you know for me the biggest challenge is that relentlessness and just taking every thought captive, which you are going to get into that in the believer's battle.
1: Hmm. And for me, I think one of the greatest challenges is is what Ben touched on a while ago when he said, I mean, every system of our world says what you do is who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And then Christ comes along and says, no, 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 what I did and gave to you is what defines who you are. Mm. And looking at the flesh is you run into that all the time. Yep. And and the enemy likes to get in there like Ben was talking about the believer's battle and convolute it and say, no, 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 this is who you are. And so why would I want to look at the flesh? But then I keep bumping into it all over my life. And then I realize God reveals one aspect of my flesh. And then five months later, I'm like, oh, this is a new area. I never even thought that I was walking in the flesh. And now your grace is showing me when is this going to end? But then he says, well, my grace is sufficient for you. And the goal is not to try to perfect your understanding. The goal is for you to understand and enjoy me on this journey. And so I think that's the endurance piece that the goal is not to understand my flesh. I got it figured out. Now the goal is to experience intimacy with God Mm. and walk and experience his life. And then he shows you along the way where your flesh is. So those are some of the challenges that I face Mm. on this journey.
0: Yeah. You kind of answered my next question that I was going to follow up with, but you know, whose job is it to help us with our uh, flesh and whose job is it to reveal it and whose job is it to mature us and, to make it so that we're not living out mm-hmm. of the flesh, and it's all, every single one of those is God's, right? And we, we have the temptation to handle our flesh in a fleshly way mm-hmm. <laughs> by trying to control the fact that we're not living under control. I mean, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. <laughs> it's a lot of words, but um, we can then relinquish that job mm-hmm. to God because, again, it could be how to find my worth in X, Y, and Z, but it could also be how to find my worth by not dealing with so much flesh. Mm-hmm. Right, and so if I'm if I can conquer not living by my flesh so much now, I have worth. Again, no, right? I have I have infinite worth even if I continue to live out of my flesh. I'll just reap the benefit or the decay of. It's not going to have a great experience in life because of all the decay that's happening. But it takes us off the hook to have to fix our flesh. Mm-hmm. It's God's job to work in our lives for that.
3: And going back all the way to your verse and. Galatians that we started with, the, the counteract to mm-hmm. sowing to the flesh is sowing to the Spirit. Exactly, yeah. Right, and so how do you sow to the Spirit? Well, Galatians also talks about walking by the Spirit. It's a similar idea. It's a dependent going to the Spirit to depend on Him for the resources and mm-hmm. the direction, submitting yourself, yep. and it results in good works coming at you. The next verse, the good works are, are sown, but it's, it's a result of that giving ourselves to God, allowing Him yeah. to meet our needs, yeah. and the good works flowing out, there's eternal life there. There's a God's life is yeah. all over it. Awesome, yep.
2: In 2 Corinthians 10, uh, I love this passage, it's verse 3 and 4. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses and to me those fortresses are the lies that the enemy wants mm-hmm. me to believe and it's the truth it's, it's it's not just the written word but it's the spoken word into my heart through the holy spirit who reveals truth to me every day moment by moment as i walk in this human life that destroys those lies that brings them down and i war uh, according to truth not according to the w- fleshly ways mm-hmm. that I could utilize. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so Jesus came, walked on this planet,
0: was flesh and bone. And so how did Jesus how can Jesus' life teach us more about how to depend on God in the in the way that we can and that will bring life? And then how does what does that teach us about our own lives and the flesh that we struggle with?
1: Well, I think it's first important to note that Jesus never chose to adopt the carnal ways of life. Mm-hmm. So he never yep. sinned. Exactly. So he never walked in the flesh. Yep. <laughs> However, he experienced all the same temptations that yes. we did. Yep. And, so, and then we know also that he did nothing of his own initiative. And so to me, as I think about flesh and I think about Jesus is, oh, Jesus had all these wonderful desires, but also temptations to meet them apart from dependence on his father. And yet he always chose to depend on his father. So it's like this beautiful, and he says that same power, that same life is in you hmm. and the spirit's in you. And, and so what, it, what his, his walk here tells me, this is how it's done. Mm. commune with your father commune with me listen to me believe that i am filling you to the fullness therefore you don't have to you know raise your voice at your son Mm. you don't have to try to control others and be keep them all happy with you by performing well for them Mm. you could actually listen turn your eyes on me and watch what i want you to do And I think that's what Jesus experienced when the Father says, "This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased." I think Jesus was fully present in that moment and experienced that the fullness of that Father's joy. That same is possible for us, yeah, because Jesus is His work on the cross and His resurrection and His indwelling life. So when I think about Jesus in the flesh, I think that's how it informs me. Hmm. It's
3: one example of that I'm thinking about in Jesus' life was. You know, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, he had that prophetic revelation that all his followers were going to leave him and abandon him, he, you know, strike the shepherd and the, the flock will scatter. And he realized that, that all his people, and he said that, he said, you're going to all abandon me at my hour of need. You're going to all abandon me. But he said, but I won't be alone because my father is with me. And we can say the same thing because of what he did at the cross. And he's, he's made us new creations forgiven us of our sin. We can say the same thing that he'll never leave us or mm. forsake us. And there's a lot of comfort in it. There's peace right there because yeah. God is peace and him with us is peace. So that's a beautiful example of what Bo was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I think that we, uh, We are able to touch on a lot of what the flesh is and how it's developed and also just the ways that God has given us Himself to help us through this. So thank you so much for the discussion, and uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week on Episode 8.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will look at God's solution to the two distinct problems of our sinful actions and our sinful nature. This will take us into how God has given us a chance at a new beginning and how we can respond to that offer. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all of our free content is made available to you because of the generosity of people from all around the world, people just like you. God bless and see you next week.